they had a streak of hope. Um, so anyway, so I get to uh, I get to Virginia, Quantico, Virginia, as my next duty station. And I, I jump on, start learning about, you know, uh, InfoSec and, and security and stuff, because my job in the Marine Corps was uh, as a SOC analyst, essentially. And so um, I see this weird, like, I get into podcasts, obviously, uh, it was really new. And then I f see this weird, you know, Hack 5 show that's getting a parody um, from Dignation. Um, and so Dignation was a podcast I listened to at the time. And uh, I saw, you know, Hack 5, and it's all about hacking and security and stuff. So I got, you know, really into their IRC and, and, and their shows and stuff. And a couple episodes in, um, I noticed that they were in Virginia and they were inviting people down to kind of have party with them. Um, so I uh, asked my wife and said, <laughs> got the, you know, <laughs> weekend, weekend pass. And um, I'm like, hey, can I hang out with random people from the Internet? And she's like, uh, no. And so uh, <laughs> so I went down anyways and um, I convinced her, obviously. And I went down and uh, hung out with uh, Darren and, and uh, uh, Harrison and, and uh, all the crew down there uh, and uh, became fast friends. And like after that, got, you know, really into security. Um, after I got out of the Marine Corps, went and um, joined a SOC, um, figured I, I wanted to do pen testing offense uh, more, you know, did uh, everything from government work to small businesses to really large businesses like G, uh, General Electric. Um, then uh, in red teaming, got into uh, Uber. Um, so startups and big startups and small startups all, all alike. Uh, so that's my resume um, from a from a I've never really been um, someone who derived value out of uh, out of my job necessarily so I, I've done a lot outside of that um, so CCDC so the cyber collegiate defense competition uh, uh, hackers in education uh, 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 what else I've given a couple talks at uh, conferences. I got involved with the Metasploit um, team um, because I asked a ton of freaking questions to HD Moore and, and there are other people there, Egypt. And so uh, I, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't, when I look back at it, I don't really see that I've the contribution that everyone talks about. Like I, I, I joined a bunch of podcasts. Uh, I talked a lot of stuff um, I wrote a lot of blog posts. Maybe that was one, you know, one place. But honestly, um, I've just been a leech for infosec and learned as much as I can and, and tried to give back where I could. But like that's that's me in a nutshell, yeah. infosec tree hugger. Yeah, exactly. So I, th I think you're being a little humble too. Um, some of the code that you've written, uh, you know, some of the scripts for the rubber duckies and, and some of the other code that, that I've followed for a very long time has been some of the most effective tools um, that I've used on red team engagements. Uh, and, you know, of course, your, your reputation precedes you pretty much everywhere, every circle I've been in. <laughs> um, I'm actually working with a, a mutual friend, um, Pyro. Nice. And yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm leading their sock and, um, 
It's too bad he couldn't be here tonight. We also had uh, Jason Street on not too long ago, and I know that you and him are, are acquaintances as well. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was I was in Virginia, actually, when I stumbled upon some of your code. I had just gotten out of the military, the Navy, and I was doing cryptology in the Navy nice. and got into uh, some more of the, I guess, offensive stuff. I'd been doing it, doing it for a long time before the military, but then I stumbled upon Hack5. And, uh, you know, saw some of the tools that they had and, and quickly started jumping on the code. And it seemed like every time I was looking at, you know, code for the rubber ducky, whether it be, you know, the duck code or whatever, your name was always in it. So I was like, this, <laughs> this guy, this guy knows what the fuck he's doing. I got to talk to this guy. Um, so, yeah, like, so what are you doing now? What's your, what's your career path right now? So I'm actually the director of the red team um, now. This is my actually my first uh, leadership uh, like management official management role. So mm -hmm. I'm trying not to screw up. Essentially, <laughs> that's what what, a, what my main focus is right now. Um, but uh, I'll tell you that going from individual contributor to uh, to management is is jarring to say the least. Like absolutely delegating and and trusting. I, I know my team can do what I ask them to do. And it still like eggs me in the back or like, or, you know, nags me at the back of my head saying, uh, did they do it this way? Did they do it that way? Did they do this? Did they do that? And I got to trust them. Like, that's the thing. We have a like an engagement next week. And, and it's like just I, I'm holding myself back from going to check <laughs> like, a, you know, so I don't know. Um, it's my first time doing it, so I'll, I'm sure it'll get natural and, and be um, go good after this. But like, it's it's been rough. It, it's it's very uh, intense when you're actually leading a, a red team. I did uh, some some red team leading for Mantech, and um, you know it's it's really kind of complicated because you always want to take over. You what you you want your people to do the the work that they do, but then it's hard to keep myself away from the keyboard. Um, and then going from red team to blue team and then back to red team and then back to blue team, um, it's been quite a, quite a ride. I think uh, with blue team, it's, it's a little bit more difficult um, running a, a sock than it is a, a red team, you know, because you have multiple clients and, and with multiple issues and you have to be right every single time. Um, and I think that's the, the, the Achilles heel of security is the the blue side always has to work ten times harder than the red side. But what oh, I do don't do that. <laughs> I I hate that trope so much. I really do. But you know, the, it's, it's not it's true. true. It's not true. No, yeah. it's not because okay. okay. So the 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 blue side of things they see that they have to be right every single time because there's right. all of these different attackers doing all of these different things, right? Mm -hmm but it switches as soon as someone gets access all they have to do is make one mistake and then you caught them right one thing that you have an alert for you have them right you and so like yes initially the the blue team has to make no mistakes right right but after that first you know shell access web shell you know command whatever mm -hmm they have to be invisible. The red team has to be perfect. And all they have to do is one make, make mistake. So I think it's even, I really do. Like, I, I can see that. I can definitely see that. Um, 
Yeah, I think I think a lot of it comes from being in leadership on the blue team for the first time too. Uh, looking at you know, I've built socks all over the all over the planet really, but when you actually step in and, and take over a sock that's already built and it's running the way that it's been ran, um, I think that's the hardest part for me is is tuning it. Not only is it tune you know work tuning it towards the client's needs, but also tuning it towards your leadership style and and what you know about defense um but i think it, it definitely helps if if people on the blue side actually have done some some red teaming or some pen testing as well um, that's yes, one of the things that i try I to push to, to everybody is you know definitely got to do both sides to understand either side um yeah, yeah when, some, I, when yeah. I worked at uber we sorry um when i worked at uber mm -hmm. um the red and blue were the same team we didn't call us the purple team we just called us the security team mm -hmm. um but um red and blue were exactly the same team and we switched off um roles all the time right so like i would be doing sock stuff day one two three four like a b or wednesday or monday tuesday wednesday and then on thursday i'll be like hey that person did you know this attacker did this on that web shell let's see if we can do that other places and and start then you start hunting and then you start red teaming and you find it see if it is like i think that is that that opportunity is is really and that skill set is really uh needed I, like you're saying yeah absolutely and uh you know looking at uh, red teaming so when i first started this new company with pyro um they didn't have quite a red team yet uh, so they were building it so the cool thing is i got to do the blue team run the sock at the same time actually run through pen test um, so it's pretty it's a pretty unique situation uh, probably the first time i've ever danced on the fence between red and blue in one company that's uh, pretty interesting nice. so tell me about some of the some of the code that you've written for hack five and, and some of their equipment um, a lot of people i'm sure know know the code that you've written and, and have experienced it and, and seen how well it works. So tell me your process and, and kind of some of your favorite code that you've written for, for the different types of equipment. Um, for hack five equipment specifically or, or code in general? Um, Just in general. So, oh, um, oh man. Uh, NetView has to be my favorite. Um, yeah executable that I ever wrote, um, because I am not a programmer by trade. Um, and um, I wrote that thing way back. Oh, man, like DerbyCon 2, I think DerbyCon 1, and we released it, uh, me and Chris Gates um, during that talk. And I NetView actually um, uh, was kind of a bit of the uh, inspiration for PowerView. And so um, that was cool that Harmjoy kind of uh, gave me the nod on that one. Um, but the um, NetView, essentially what it did was I found in MSDN, the fact that Enum users, I think, Enum users, I, I think is the API. Um, it, it's been a long time since I've looked at that code. Um, but there was inside of MSDN, there was a, um, a piece of uh, or a description saying, hey, if you set this flag and this flag, you have to be administrator. If you set this flag, you have to be administrator, this flag and this flag, you have to be administrator. And then way at the bottom, as a side note, it's like, if you set this to 100, you don't have to be administrator. 
and it's like oh let me okay now i can enumerate everyone and i can pull all this stuff and i can like do all these things and get all the groups and all this stuff out of out of active directory and um and the you know logged in where they're logged in all these all these different pieces of information and um it, it was just super exciting um and fumbling through c code and and trying you know trying it um and then finally compiling it seeing it work uh i just as, like as, like i said as a non-soft you know traditional software dev i'm a i'm a script kitty that that doesn't quit essentially <laughs> so i i try code whatever whatever language it's in um and i i think that it can work and then i work towards that goal and then i i don't stop until i hit the goal essentially and that's the problem like i hyper hyper focus until it works and so netview was the result of that and i think that a lot of people got a, good, a lot of good value out of it um and that that hands down was the was the best feeling when i could you know put out some code that pen testers wanted to use and, and apt actors wanted to use and stuff like that that was uh, uh a friend of mine actually told me that they found netview um inside of uh crimeware and i was like that's kind of cool like not cool but kind of cool <laughs> and really cool <laughs> and um I don't know. Like, I think that um, Netview was definitely one of them. Um, I think that for Ducky, um, for Hack Five Gear specifically, the conversation I had with Darren around the locked um, computer hack, um, and this was like, I, I think I've told this story before, but if if not, this is the first time I'm telling it. Um, I was. I was using the USB um, armory. It was a device that had awesome crypto on a little USB stick, but it was it all it had was an Ethernet to your own computer, and you couldn't. It was a pain in the butt to get it to connect to the internet to do any updates. It was a pain in the butt to use for every other aspect of life. It felt like, and I bought it at DefCon as we all do buy you know buy these tools at DefCon, and I was like. I have to find a use for this thing. This is not, this is not valuable to me. You know, it's, it's sat on my shelf for like a year and a half. So I'm, I wanted to figure out a use for it. So I plugged it into my um, windows machine, tried to get it to do updates, tried adding, you know, responder to it to see if it'd do anything. And um, crazy thing is I locked my computer, went upstairs um, to get a drink. Um, came back downstairs and responder had gotten us a, uh, a hash from my computer while it was locked. And I was like, what the hell is this? So I wrote up a blog post on how I did it and stuff like that. And I saved it as a draft. I'm like, uh, okay, so let's try this, you know, in a couple other places. So I may or may not have gone to Walmart and, and Best <laughs> Buy um, to see if locked computers, um, also gave hashes that didn't have it pre-configured because I, I didn't know if like it was just because it had been plugged into my machine before or whatever. Um, so plugged it in. And then um, I essentially um, wrote the final blog post, posted it online and went to sleep, went to bed. And like my phone went nuts. 
like it it got into the register like it went like people blew this thing up and so i wake up in the morning and my phone has like 500 you know notifications and it's it's been on the charger all night but the battery's low and like um so the next morning i i call up darren and he's actually in lebanon i think um Mm -hmm. for uh this thing with um yeah the bank Mm -hmm. And I'm like, Darren, check this out. This is really cool. He's like, uh, what if we had a, what if we had a turtle that could do, uh, you know, storage and, and get all of these other things put together and cereal and, and, you know, what if, and, and this was a total collaboration. Like he, he had idea, um, he was spitting back ideas too. And it was like, um, what if we had it do this and this, and this ducky could do that, um, and it had ethernet and a better cpu and all this stuff and he's like that would work and so like maybe a week after he got back he had a prototype um out and going and it was it was awesome and that was the bash bunny and that um and soon after the bash bunny came out one of my one of my unreleased favorite pieces of code is you can look at google um uh you can look at Google uh, zero, uh, what is it called? The, the research arm of Google. Um, what talking about. The, the security people that find all the bugs. Um, ah, I forget the name. Anyways, their uh, blog post um, by um, one of their Windows f- Tarando, or I'm horrible with names right now. Um, anyways, you look on his blog post and he found, he saw a blog and he wrote a blog post about how, um, when you boot up, um, windows, you can go into debug mode. Um, and this is kernel debugging. And so, um, it automatically turns on kernel debugging for com one, which is a serial, which no one has, right? No one has a serial port anymore. Well, the bash bunny has serial. And so when you plug it in, it automatically becomes COM1. Um, and so Project Zero, thank you so much, Kristen. You're awesome. Um, and so when you plug in the Bash Bunny, it can be um, COM1. And so if you boot up a Windows machine and you hit F8 to go into um, kernel debugging mode, um, it has the kernel debugging mode as the machine is you know, turning on. And the great thing about kernel debugging is that you can do literally anything you want. And so um, the problem is that most um, most of the software you need to do any Windows kernel debugging is in Windows and it's Windows debug, right? Mm-hmm. And KDB. Um, and so I wrote a Python, a horrible Python script on, on a bash bunny to connect to COM1 and send the connections or the 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 commands over the kernel debugging com one port one by one to change the registry key for sticky keys to cmd.exe so that I can boot a machine that I have no access to rewriting in memory in kernel memory where the registry is for um, for sticky keys get to the command prompt to log in hit shift five times and it works and I reboot the machine there's no registry change at all That's and so with the Bash Bunny, I can get um, system on a box um, just by booting it up. Now, this doesn't work 
with um, hardware uh, encryption, right? You have to get past that to do anything. And, but there's been blog posts since do hardware encryption. Anyways, um, so those are my favorite. Hack5, Hack5 code might be unreleased, but I, it's super easy to follow along. And then uh, NetView being my uh, favorite of all. Yeah, Land Turtle is one of my favorite pieces of equipment to take on red team events. Um, I was doing a uh, pen test for a casino in the Midwest and uh, I accidentally left my land turtle sitting by my computer, but my computer was in the network admin's office. And so he didn't know what it was. He'd never seen one before. And he plugged into his computer and I came back in the room and this is a casino. And he goes, what is this piece of shit that you have laying on the table? It doesn't do anything. It looks like an ethernet adapter. And I was like, well, um, yeah, it kind of is actually. And then, so I took the uh, land turtle and I dumped the loot and I had everything I needed within oh, the first five minutes of the geez. test and walked into the CISO's office. And I was like, this is maybe one reason why the Ukrainians beat up your casino. Like, <laughs> plug random shit into their computers. You know? um, but it, it was interesting to oh. see what was floating around on that network. It ended up being um, not only, you know, user error, but also um, they had bad segmentation. You could actually get from the yeah. hotel Wi-Fi into the gaming uh the gaming center which Jeez. is really bad. yeah so i actually have a, a similar turtle or a similar similar turtle uh, story with that too um we were doing a test a physical test where we were having a, a really hard time getting into the facility like um the guards uh were eyeing us the entire time we were in the lobby like i don't know what it was about us um but we we couldn't like sneak around anywhere and like they had patrols going on and it was really frustrating. So um, we we're getting to the end of the day. We had spent 12 hours trying to figure out how to get in. We get to the end of the day, we're sitting um, out in the lobby, just, you know, on our laptops, looking at stuff. And we noticed that the um, network manager's door is propped open uh, or not network manager. You just said network manager. The security manager's door is propped open and is outside of the security area of, of the desk and all that stuff. And it's actually around the corner. And so the doors open just a hair um, and we, we think he went to the bathroom, but we don't know. Um, and so we run in there, put our, our um, turtle into the back of it and, and leave and go back and see if it connected. We, we um, and so we're back in the hotel. It's definitely connected. We start doing our assessment and like 2 AM rolls around and this um, pissed off, like super mad um point of contact calls us um and says what the hell did you do to our network just going off and um we're like okay we're we're just at the hotel we're we're coming down um let's let's talk this through and he's like you changed all of our routing like how did you get into our routers and switches what did you do um and and um we're like uh we have we've gotten access and and gotten you know domain stuff and whatever but we haven't touched your router the switches i don't believe you <laughs> we, okay how about we track down or we track back what we've done so far and we can figure this out like let's calm this down a little bit fine we've been we have everyone on call pulled in and we've been looking through and we we have have all the systems you have access to um but you you are you messed with our routers and switches and we can't you know we can't find um, the the system you're coming from to shut you down. 
we're like um we're coming from the um security admins like office and he's like no you're not like this is why we're i don't believe you why you lying to me blah 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 and so um we're like we'll show you and we go into the network uh the you you got me in my head network admin <laughs> the security admin's office mm-hmm. and um he's like see there's no way you're on this machine he's he's gone on vacation he's not even here his machine <laughs> is with him and we're like uh it's pl- like our system is plugged into the docking station and he just goes white. Uh, and um, he thought that because the docking station was the only thing there, that there's no possible way that we'd be coming from that port, right? From that ethernet jack, like the docking station. <laughs> and we didn't, we had no idea that the guy had gone like, because we didn't notice any traffic we were looking at the traffic coming through the turtle we were just looking at our connection and and talking to the rest of the network Mm -hmm. and like the guy had because docking stations always have power right um like the guy had jetted for some like three-week vacation and they had taken every network admin they had to um scour the network for how or for changes in the routers changes in the switches that meant that we were coming from a different port than the one he knew we couldn't be coming from right and so i i like i don't know how much overtime or whatever he had to you know grovel to those network admins because like uh he had you know he he had sworn up and down to them that they it was no possibility for we were on that port Yes. One of the first mistakes I ever made with the responder was not um, forwarding the traffic and causing a lot of havoc. Um, That was the first time I played with it. Luckily it was on my own network and just taking a look at it and, you know, totally destroyed my network for a little bit. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Those those tools are great. Um, One of the code, one piece of code that I really enjoyed using was the um, remote power shell for the rubber ducky. Um, I used so many iterations of that where it went out yeah. to a, a web a web server and grabbed a specific PowerShell script and then executed it internally. Um, you, there are so many networks that I was able to dance through just because of that small piece of code and a USB. <laughs> nice. Pretty amazing stuff. Um, so tell me about Silicon Valley. I, I know that you were the uh, tech consultant for the HBO production. How, what was yeah. that like? Well, um, the question most people ask is how did you get in, you know, how did you get that gig? Um, and it was literally just a friend of a friend, um, which was nice. Um, so I haven't gotten any of those gigs since or before. Um, but uh, season two, when I first started getting into it, um, it was a bit rough. Um, they basically, you were basically on call for the entire recording season time. Um, and because they're West coast and I was East coast, that meant I was getting calls at like 2 AM and, um, asking about this, this comment or that comment or this, you know, specific script item or that, you know, this idea. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was a little frustrating, um, but it was super awesome to be part of it. Right. And then the premiere happens. I didn't know TV shows had premieres, but they do. Um, and I got to go to that 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 was amazing um and then um season three got way way more in depth with uh, security stuff 
uh, with the new character. I actually got to design her um, kind of from the ground up. Nice. Um, which was really cool. Um, and but it was all mostly remote. I never actually talked to anybody but one point of contact for the scripting stuff and um, maybe two. Um, it was all mostly remote. And then season four, season five, they they may have pinged me once or twice the whole uh, the whole time for those two seasons. So I didn't really get involved in those. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was kind of feeling like um, kind of bad for having my name in the <laughs> name in the, uh, the credits because mm-hmm. uh, I really didn't do anything those two times. Um, but season six, the final season has to be the, the funnest time that I had. I got to go on set. I got to um, meet all the actors. I got to um, actually sit in the writing room and help design how the show would end. Um, And that was, that was so cool. That's pretty awesome. (laughs) Um, And yeah, I got to meet uh, Mike judge and, um, and all the other writers and, and directors and stuff and sit with them and spitball ideas and how, and, and see how that works. Um, uh, And yeah the i don't know the 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 show was was awesome and i loved how strict they were about like getting things right um and possible and real and like even if i hemmed and hawed in the writer's room a little bit Mm -hmm. like i'm like yeah that could happen but it you know it would and they're like nope okay next night next idea um they like it was really cool that they were so stringent about it but I got to, you know, put a few words in, um, in season two specifically for hack five. Oh, and hack five actually was in, was in season three too. Right. I think. Yep, yep, um, yep. and, and the, uh, the school of root one, I am really proud of uh, getting that, uh, mention in there, but like, uh, it was a really interesting experience. The only downside is they don't pay you much for those kind of things. Right. So even as a senior technical advisor, like as cool as that title is, I got paid twelve hundred bucks for the whole season. I think I think it's more getting your name in history and and you know part of yeah. the production. Um, <laughs> True. I have a couple, have a but... couple of friends that did that <laughs> that have some really cool stories, and and I'm just fascinated with that how people can go from from tech to to Hollywood. Um, I know another guy who did the same thing uh, and was working on the set with uh, the, sh- the movie Snowden, um, which was pretty amazing. But I, I just, at some point, I would like to see what that's like. It, it looks really interesting. And, uh, you know, I know that Hollywood gets it wrong most of the time. And I think mm-hmm. it's really cool. They're actually reaching out to people who work in that field and getting yeah. advice. I, th- I think that's awesome. Um, so what would be your dream job? If, if you could build your own, your own job from the ground up, what would your dream job be? <laughs> um, I actually saw my dream job um, while I was still in the Marine Corps. Um, so this, this guy um, who uh, showed up at my work in the Marine Corps as a uh, contractor, um, he showed up and did uh, 150 pages of, of documentation for a, a project he had never seen before mm-hmm. and did it amazing um, and left. And so to, and, and I talked to him and he actually is the one that fixed my resume up so that it, it got me jobs really fast. 
Um, and I, I've shared that resume quite a few times um, because it was really amazing, um, the little tweaks and, and nods in there. Mm -hmm. um, but he and I sat down and we had a really long conversation um, about like jobs and stuff because I was getting ready to get out. And his job is essentially he's the go-to um, for anything. And like, so he gets put on jobs where where no one else can get it done and he just does it and fixes it and leaves um and so i'm sorry the fixer yeah he's an infosec fixer nice. um and so i would love to be someone who gets hired to come in be fully autonomous you know have the backing of like when he came in, he had the backing of the Commandant of the Marine Corps. Like that was that was his signature, right? Um, and so no one screwed with him. No one, no one, you know, said you couldn't do this, you can't do that, or or didn't give him what he needed for his job. And I would love to be like that. Um, and it was really cool because um, he would come in. And, and listen and learn and he, he was never above anyone when mm. when like he talked to anyone um and he came in and literally just would fix it whatever it was and, and come in and just get it done and so one of the like i don't know like I, that that would be my dream job where i could come in and sit with whoever it was, learn all of the problems of whatever they were doing with. I, I would sit with, you know, entry level people. That's, and if you know anything about the military, you know that there's the Lance Corporal Network or whatever um, it's called in the Navy, mm -hmm. you know, the E1, E2, E3 um, level where they know all the problems mm -hmm. and everyone above them just covers up the problems, right? That's, that's how management works in any organization military or not right um well it shouldn't but like that's the joke yeah. um and so um finding out where all the problems are of the frontline employees the people who have actually the problems that you have to deal with and coming in and having the backing of the the commandant or the ceo and just fixing it and saying okay these are the people who make you money i'm gonna make their life better um make it easier whatever and i'm just going to solve it and go and then i'll move on to the next one that would e4 mafia in the army yeah um that's that is my dream job right? I, can def I can definitely see that the uh, one thing i miss about the military is you always knew what to expect and you always yep. knew what was expected um i think that's one thing that that we lack in the industry is is that that expectation and accountability. I think a lot of places. Accountability. Failed. Yes. I think hundred percent on that last part. Yeah. I think that um, there are way too many people in, in InfoSec that get away with freaking murder and, and they get paid. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> the, there was a video I saw the other day. It was like, um, so so you get a bonus for doing your job, but you also get paid for doing your job. So what's the bonus for? And like, I, it just really sunk into me like, holy crap, I, I get paid this much money no matter what I do on my job. 
Mm-hmm. And if I kill myself trying to do better, I will maybe get a bonus, but it'll be the probably the same bonus I would have gotten if I didn't do anyway. it. Right? <laughs> exactly. And yes. so, I mean, it's insane the the how money works in the U.S. It's just weird. Yeah, definitely weird. And you can always tell when I walk into a security department or any company, cybersecurity doesn't matter. Um, I can always tell who has been military and who hasn't. And you can can (laughs) tell which management uh, executives run their ship like they did the military. Um, And I respect that. You know, a lot of people hate it. Oh, you know, it's too stringent, it's too strict, and, you know, you can't go outside the lines. But, you know, a lot of people function really well in those environments and those environments yeah. run very smoothly. Well, up until this year, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you know, like that would be my dream job. If I could take my job as it, as it is now and put a uniform on, that would be my dream job. Um, because I miss that camaraderie and I miss that, you know, that, that fellowship or whatever, but I guess my job was a little bit different in the military <laughs> work in the haircut and working in the, uh, working in a skiff all the time. Um, that was sometimes a little bit isolating, uh, you know, working, oh, yeah. working in crypto. It was, you know, you didn't, I never worked in a building with windows until after I got out. <laughs> What's a skiff by the way? What's a skiff? It's a secret. What was it? Sensitive compartmental information facility or it's a like vault that, that yeah. you actually work in yeah oh awesome it, sounds great <laughs> no no it's not they literally have a marine sitting outside the door at most right. gifts yeah um it's uh it's one of those places that it's it a gets cold ass room that <laughs> that doesn't get any air other than the ac and it's freezing as hell cold and no windows um and noisemakers yeah. so that nobody can hear what you're saying uh, it's it's a it's a different way of life, um, but again, you know, was, I knew what to expect, and and I knew what was expected, and it's usually a lot more than what I could give, but I busted my ass trying to give it to him. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, things like that. I think that would be a, a great job, but I envy the people coming into cybersecurity now. Um, we were right? just talking about this earlier with uh, Robert Hansen, and. What's funny is when I got into cybersecurity, there was no classes. There were no certifications. There was no CEH. Oh, come on. There were certifications. Well, not cybersecurity certifications. The CEH has been around since the dawn of time. Since 2000. You can tell. You can tell. I've been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> yeah, no, the, the CEH was was last updated um, like when when the I Love You virus was around. Yeah, it's it's sad. I I was in uh, I took version one, and that was in two thousand five. Um, I got into cybersecurity, what's now cybersecurity, back in the early two thousands. Um, and we didn't have back then. Penetration testing was something that they were thinking about, but they didn't actually have like a whole career field around it, and they didn't have college university courses uh, regarding ethical hacking or pen testing. But I think that, you know, people coming into cybersecurity now haven't made. I mean, look at all of the, the information and knowledge that's shared between everybody. Right. It's crazy. Which is awesome. Out there if you want it. Yeah. yeah. The, the problem is that the blue side of thing hasn't gotten there yet. Yep. Offense, mm-hmm. we're sharing all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. But I don't think the, the defenders understand that the more, the more sharing that happens, 
the better you get. And it shows in info in, in offense. Mm. And I think the offensive security tool debate mm. is missing that aspect of it. Right. Like, I think that, um, that yes, the more you, offensive people share things, the more, you know, uh, tools that are going against the blue team, I get that aspect and it sucks, but I think the problem isn't that there's so many offensive tools out there that it's hard to keep up. I think that the blue teams keep their siloed information Mm -hmm. and try and keep up and try and keep up individually. And, and uh, sorry, just go back to the thing where understanding the red team is first is more important than when you come across to the blue, like understanding how, how you can be attacked will benefit and how you defend. Yeah, I think it's very important for that to happen. However, so the, the debate is that um, there's too much to keep up with on the blue side of things. Yeah, right, um, okay. Like, and so I, I envision that there's like a bunch of castles, you know, these different businesses, right? And each business is trying to ha- hire the best, you know, defenders or the best, you know, knights, right? And and then you have this Mongol horde of offensive people um, that are all sharing how to get into different, you know, castles and they're all sharing their information. They're different tribes and different, you know, red teams and stuff, but they're all sharing how to do better. And yep. the problem is that each one of the castles are not getting better because there's not enough blue teamers to go around. Right. And so um, you have to, you know, your night might be better than the other night but they're not going to be better than the entirety, you know, the shared mindset of the horde of Mongols sitting out there. And I, I have nothing against Mongols. I'm just using, you know, history as a great thing, analogy. Right? It, was, it was a good analogy. <laughs> right. And so I think that the more the blue teams could share of how they defend and, and getting software and, and um, tooling out there, I think would, would be awesome. I would, I cannot wait to see blue teams share and use use the internet in a way so the power of the internet is that there there's so much information out there right and this goes to the training aspect of it so there's you know there's plenty of classes where you know sock one sock analyst 101 classes and all these things right and it's and it's awesome um but actual good defense right where where you're saying, hey, um, do the basics, which is a, a really a trope that I so much hate right now. Um, like how you, how you can have all of these defenders that are, are, are trying their best to do defense, but there's so much bad knowledge out there. There's so much, um, um, uh, so much, so much information. Not, not just misinformation, but like, um, so misinformation is intentional, Mis- um, but I think that the defense is so hard because there's not good information out there. There's not, um, you know, leaders. So most of the leaders in blue side of things, they don't publish tools like like in in offense, right? They don't put out, you know, I, other than a few, right? I'll take that back. There are a few that publish tools, but if there were more, if there were really good tools out there and, and easy to use tools, that's the other thing. Um, easy to use tools do not exist on the blue team. No, um, I've tried them. They don't exist. Um, Very true. And so I think if 
if blue side started hive mining and, and putting out like super easy to use like metasploit easy right mm -hmm. to use defensive tools then i think that we would be much more on an e even playing field um and you know one of the things that we developed at uber that i love that i i, I can't wait till more blue teams kind of uh, uh create is uh rules from scratch so we what we did was we took all of miter mm -hmm. um just like everyone on the planet has been doing and we wrote um our a tool that would basically run the command to do attack simulation stuff right just like everyone else is doing these days we're hundreds of thousands of dollars mm -hmm. um and but we integrated it into our detection platform and so we don't we weren't seeing when these attack simulations went off because what it would do it was a, it would run the thing and then the tool would then check to see where in the alerting process it was and then check to see if it got to alert and what if it got to an alert um then it would remove the alert it would say yep triage done go away and that was such a fast process that we were doing hundreds per minute wow um and so Huge. it would check all of the different miter things randomly going through and we'd add new rules and new checks every so often and say hey check this check this check this check that and and just we built our own rule set based on the minor stuff that built into that and that was um collaboration that was a big collaboration between a bunch of people so i, I can't take credit for the idea or the the code but um but once we had that we were essentially hunting all the time right mm -hmm. literally all like automated hunting all the time um based on every miter thing that we could make a rule for and so that kind of code got released as meta um, uh, from directly from Uber, but it was so restricted to like what we could release of that, that um, no one's really benefiting from it. No one really knows that code anymore. Right. And so uh, stuff like BlueCon, which is happening this weekend. Where's uh, that at, by the way? That's in Chicago. Um, this, that's kind of the start um, there's been other blue team conferences, but let's like, we need a DEF CON for blue teams. Exactly. Right. Totally. To where you're sharing stuff all the time and not SANS or RSA or where vendors, you know, have, you know, a chokehold on everything that's taught. Right. But like, yeah. So I went on a tirade. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have a question for you. When I look at, the defense platforms we have now, as opposed to the early days, like IntraShield and, and some of the some of the more archaic platforms, it seems, <laughs> yeah, it, it seems to me like we on the blue side there hasn't been that much advancement as far as the technology. Yeah, we do have like machine learning and and pseudo kind of AI stuff going on with like Dark Trace and stuff like that. But when you look at the overall industry on the blue side, it's not much different than what it was back then. Yeah, you have some more automation, but you still have as many false positives. And, and that part, I'm left scratching my head all the time trying to figure that out. 
um, you know, I could walk into any environment and look at their defenses and look at the platforms that they're using. And more than likely, I'm going to see at least 75% is noise. Yep. Um, and, and, I, and that's why, sorry, that's why we created that stuff called Meta at Uber is because um, all of the tooling that we had already was just, you know, alerts going a million miles a second. And so we started from scratch. We wrote rules from scratch that were based on our environment and, and MITRE and how we applied it there. We didn't like the, uh, sorry, uh, Ryan, nice, nice to catch up with you. You had to go. Um, the, um, yeah, the, the thing that we found at Uber was that it was really, really hard to try and keep up with those alerts and, and logs and stuff. And so we started, started from scratch and that's a very scary thing. I understand, but like, I think that just to be honest, I think most people have really crappy alerts and like, (laughs) totally agree. Totally agree. And some of the recommendations on some of these platforms too, when an alert pops up, block IP address. I'm like, wait a minute, that, that's so archaic. Why are we recommending to block an IP address in 2021? Um, you know, it just, it slays me when I see stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but some of the machine learning stuff is kind of cool. We had a guy from Dark Trace on, Max Hennemeyer, and we were talking about, you know, the state of the industry and, and what AI is, what AI isn't. Uh, really interesting conversation. Um, but one thing that, that I think the blue side fails at as an industry is what you're talking about, information sharing. And I think that yeah. is related to the whole don't want to admit that your baby's ugly type deal. Um, yeah. When it comes to compromises, you get little to no information from companies when they get compromised because, first of all, they don't want to give away how weak they are or, or how the attacker took advantage of them. And if they have strong defenses, they don't want to release that either. And to me, that that kind of defeats a purpose because I think as an industry, we kind of need to work together because how I'm going to get attacked today is how you're going to get attacked tomorrow. Um, and to me, you know, when you look at whose baby's uglier, it really doesn't matter. You know, you yep. got to work together. Um, I'd like to see that. I, I think you're right on track with that. The, the blue team, blue side needs to share more information and, and more tooling. Um, to be honest with you, I haven't seen a lot of tooling when it comes to blue team. Um, I remember back in the day when Snort IDS was really popular and, and everybody was using Snort and uh, people were writing signatures and, and getting involved mm. with that. I think that's the max of the extent that I've seen blue sides working together, sharing that type of information and, and yeah. hashes and stuff like that. That to me is, is important, but you don't see enough of it. Um, so question about the red team side. Sure. Um, I've seen a couple platforms already that have, uh, they tout automated pen testing. Um, <laughs> I have my own qualms with, with the idea of automation when it comes to pen testing, but I, I'd like to hear your opinion on that. Um, no such thing. <laughs> that's, I like that. that's my idea on it. Um, yeah. So, um, security comes in offensive security comes into multiple forms, right? The first one is vulnerability uh, scanning management, you know, automation there. You also have SAST and DAS scanning where your uh, software security is looking for vulnerabilities like uh, Dependabot from GitHub and that kind of thing, right? Like, um, yep. Yeah. Um, 
So the all of the automated stuff is awesome and it's great that it can go through code and go through systems and, and find stuff. Rumble's another great one for doing asset discovery, mm-hmm. right? Like all of that automation is fantastic. Um, but red teaming or, or pen testing, right? Pen testing, um, you can call, like, I don't, I don't care what your definition is or whatever. I, I mean, I care what your definition is, but I don't care what a definition of it is. Um, I think that um, it's all um, it's all art when you come to um, when you actually get to the people part of things. There's no science to it. Um, there, just you can beat your head against you know a wall 500 times and finally get in because you guessed the right password or you guessed the right URL and. There isn't a system on the planet that's going to be able to handle every intricacy that goes along with that. It just is, it's too much of an art. And that's, that's one of the big problems with red teaming is uh, because it's an art, there's no way to measure it, right? Mm-hmm. Metrics don't exist for red teaming. Um, that not in a valuable way um, where you can say, I found seven vulnerabilities this week. <laughs> cool. I found one the next week, but it was, you know, way worse than the seven other ones the other day. And it was, they were all critical, but like this one was worse because it was so easy. Like there really, like there just isn't good ways of doing that. So automated pen tests, just to get back to it, I don't think really exist. I think, sure, you can do, you know, attacker emulation stuff, mm-hmm. uh, attack simulation stuff where you're you know running through the miter framework and and hitting a bunch of things like we were talking about earlier mm-hmm. that's not an automated pen test you know you're doing that kind of stuff you know your action there's too much too much people involved mm-hmm. right to to be able to do that like how is a computer going to know that you know this person is going to write a passwords.xls here tomorrow because they had it in an email that they have to write it because a customer asked for it in the specific share, right? Like right. that's too much abstraction mm-hmm. and, and putting patterns together for a computer to kind of do yet, obviously. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I'm just saying like, it's, it's not, yeah, it doesn't exist. One thing I would like to see pen testing get automated with is reporting. I, that was <laughs> the, the big thing that I really hated was reporting. Um, you spend all these hours like yeah. painting this picture. And, and I like what you said about being an art, because what I found is interviewing people for red team jobs and looking at people that are in an industry. Most of them have a creative side, whether it be they play music or, you know, they write or they paint there's always some artistic aptitude with every pen tester I've ever seen. Um, and you're right. It is an art, but one art that I would like to get rid of would be the report writing. That is the most mundane part of red teaming that I think exists right now. So I think, I think report writing came out of uh, the fact that um, red teamers and pen testers at the time didn't know a better form to do that in. And right. um, report writing can be so much easier and so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I developed um, at a few different places that I worked was reporting through slides. And essentially it's just a timeline slash like story. And um, all of the findings, all of the detection opportunities, all the different pieces that we worked with 
those all became tickets or items or emails to individuals and groups. Um, and it wasn't, it was a conversation about things. It wasn't like, here you go, go fix this. Mm-hmm. It was like, Hey, found this thing in your thing. Um, I think this is a good way to fix it. What do you think? Let's, you know, work through this. And so the higher ups got their slide deck of all the pretty lights and numbers and colors and stuff where it has, you know, reds and greens of good and bad. Um, and then the people who actually do things, um, you know, got tickets or whatever could handle, they could handle um, because putting, giving someone a word document, a PDF, it's incredibly hard to parse that into a ticketing system or an Excel document or something they can track it in. Right. And so um, when you meet them where they are, like put it in, in ticketing systems, put it in, in their, you know, tracking system or their, you know, Trello board or whatever they have for, you know, how, however they're managing their day, mm-hmm. um, then it becomes something they can actually implement and actually get fixed and actually get um, kudos for closing the ticket. Like when, when you work with people enough to find out what makes their life tick, work mm-hmm. life tick, then um, red teaming reporting becomes so much easier and and it and you customize it per the client or customer or, or target yeah and then you, you don't have to write a 40 page report exactly have you seen uh plex track by any chance i have i, I heard that there's a, a certain level of not really automation but it's easier to compile reports with red teaming through, through plex track um we they also rec- have ticket in- integration as well Oh, really? Um, like Salesforce or how does that work? Salesforce and, and ServiceNow and all of those other cool. um, ticketing, uh, Jira and stuff. Yeah, yeah, we, we use Jira work. I think that's pretty interesting. And, and we just pulled on PlexTrack, which I think is uh, going to make everybody's job a lot easier. Um, but you're right. As far as like actual hands-on and, and vulnerability validation and, and actual, you know, the creativity of the red team and pen test, I don't think there's a, a platform that can duplicate that. Um, and what I found too, and this is kind of strange. So I was doing some work with the London Met Police um, on their cyber prevent program, uh, helping do interventions with you know teenagers and kids that have been identified as, as potential cyber criminals. One of the things that I found really interesting was about 90% of them are on the spectrum, um, the autism spectrum. And, you know, looking at the industry now and looking at some of the people that, that I grew up with um, in the industry, uh, myself included, I think that we all fit that norm somehow. Um, I don't think it's that unusual, but it really surprised me to see the numbers. Would you say that that's pretty accurate or have you experienced that? I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean... I've never been diagnosed with ADHD or anything like that. But um, when I watch videos about people who have ADHD, I, you know, I have similar feelings slash, you know, experiences like hyper-focus and, mm-hmm. and trouble tracking, uh, uh, trouble tracking tasks and all these other things. Right. right. Um, but, and I, you know, just from talking to people, a lot of people have ADHD or, or, Asperger's and stuff like that too. So I would agree with your summation, uh, summation, but I, I, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. (laughs) It was was really interesting to see that. And, and I think the, you know, the kids were getting locked into this loop where they didn't really understand 
um, some the youngest kid I think I dealt with was like 10 or 11 years old. Um, and you know, their thinking is a lot different than, than ours, um, of course, but you know, w one way that I related to them as far as like cybercrime goes, and you probably heard this before, uh, when you walk by a house and the windows open, that doesn't mean you can climb through the window. Um, and so that's what some of the kids, you know, talking to them and, and explaining to them what penetration testing was, what was a legal, you know, scope agreement, uh, what was a legal statement of work. Once those kids got a hold of that knowledge and started putting it to use, along with the skills that they already had, they made for some really awesome pen testers. I bet. Um, and just seeing the kids these days with the skills that they have um, just blows me away. Absolutely blows me away. So mm -hmm. let's talk about Nova for a second before we wrap things up. Sure. I know that you're co-founder of, of Nova. Uh, and I've, I've known a couple of people that have been part of Nova. Why don't you explain what, what Nova is to the people who don't know? Um, and maybe, you know, some of the listeners in that, that area might, might get interested. Sure. So um, Nova Hackers started as a, as me being incredibly lonely in the infosec space, uh, honestly. Um, I heard about DEF CON groups. I went to a, a, a local Arlington DEF CON group and it was like not awesome. It was like two people, three people that showed up and, and I'm still friends with some of them, but like it, like it, it was not fun, right? So I wanted, to, I wanted to have a little bit more fun with people and, um, and I was working at in a skiff at the time over in DC area, you know, the Pentagon, and um, and I'm like, hey, like anyone in Northern Virginia who wants to meet up and have lunch, and we'll just have lunch, and and uh, we'll you know meet at Lafont Plaza and have lunch, and you know I got uh, 15, 16, 17 people saying, sure, I'll I'll be there. Not one showed up. Um, I went there all by myself, had lunch at a small little restaurant there and kind of was like defeated and went, went uh, back to my job and, and I was uh, not happy. Well, um, I got pinged by a few people saying, hey, when's the next one? <laughs> and I'm like, there ain't going to be a next one. You suck. <laughs> um, and so uh, I, I'm like, okay, let's, you know, you know, next month we'll do another one. And uh, that way people have more time to kind of go. And so I set one up again and um, I, you know, got, you know, a bunch of people saying, yeah, definitely be there. Yeah. 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 LaFont Plaza again, I show up, you know, a little early mm -hmm. and um, Chris Gates gets, gets there. Um, Carl Onage shows up and he's like, where's everyone at? And he's like 10 minutes late. And I'm like, you're it. Like that's <laughs> that's it. Um, and this was the first time I actually met him. Um, and we sat down and had lunch. And um, uh, we, um, he and I were the first ones to ever go to this lunch. And then it, you know it spawned off of that. And we talked about what um, you know more and more people came. You know the following month and the following month after that. Um, and we got to a big, a decent sized group um, where we were having lunch and we were having to rent space to, to have lunch. Um, and we decided we needed some rules. And so we saw that AHA, Austin Hackers Association had some really cool rules where basically it was, hey, if you haven't been here before, you're presenting tonight. If you haven't presented recently, you're presenting tonight. Um, if you're not contributing to the group, you're gone. 
Um, and we really love those rules. I think that it created a, an environment where people felt safe sharing because mm-hmm. they knew that other people would share, right? right? And so it also was Chatham House rules. For those who don't know, that means that any anything said in those uh, meetings can't Stay leave there. those meetings, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so um, it kind of grew from there, and um, it is now seven hundred plus people, you know, from all walks of life and all all over the all over the planet now, because um, people have moved and and changed uh, jobs and stuff like that. And uh, I think we're actually past a thousand um wow but um we still have meetings once a month um um mostly been virtual we've gone to in-person slash hybrid recently um but essentially what it is is um and and we've gotten to the point where you don't have to present the first night you can you can come show up but if you start leeching and and not presenting or not giving back um then we're gonna kick you out um and so the uh, the great thing is that we've had presenters talk about anything, everything. We had um, someone talk, give a presentation on how to make good coffee, like with what the good, you know, what a good coffee maker is and what, how to hack the coffee maker to, you know, to remove limiters and, and, you know, do this French press with, you know, with a raspberry pie. Nice. Um, amazing talks like that. But we've also had like, um, we've also had talks where, um, this, this like, I think he was 23 year old still in college, um, talked about zero days in RSA, um, and like really valuable zero days in RSA. And he was giving the presentation there and we're like, go make, like, we were stopping him from presenting and saying, go make money on this. Like, these are million dollar bugs, go make money. And he's like, well, yeah, uh, like, dude you're 23 years old a million dollars in your bank account is gonna set you <laughs> exactly exactly um, and but we've also had people show up who wanted to get part of the group um just to get us to hack stuff and we had someone that i had to pull off stage and kick out that night that was trying to get you know us to hack the chinese government medical records um but it's been it's been a great um experience a really great group um there's zero tolerance for BS. Um, and, um, which is one of the nice things is like, um, your membership is reliant on you not being a dick, um, in a lot of, in a lot of definitions that, and it's great. That's what Nova hackers is. Um, and it's, it's a good group of people. Absolutely. Yeah. I've known a couple of people who passed through there actually, uh, arsenic and I were talking about it earlier. Um, he said that that was one of the most intense talks that he gave because he was talking about JavaScript and uh, I guess HD Moore was sitting in the audience and it was basically <laughs> the same, the same type of code. And that that's how he got introduced to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's so, a really good group. AHA is, is, is still going too, I believe. Yep, it is. Um, and the, the other good thing about um, Nova hackers and AHA is that um, it's not, is not it's not a traditional presentation you're right. giving a talk and it's a conversation you can be mid-sentence and someone's like uh that's not right or you should have done it this way um and it and it breeds the confidence right um because you know that those people are not there to heckle you i mean when i'm on stage or when someone you know has been around in the in the uh, 
group for a long time has been on stage i get nothing but heckles but um but it's a safe space and that's what's really cool is like no matter gender you know race color creed whatever um it's a super safe space for you to give your presentation um and you can end your presentation halfway mm-hmm. and be like i'm kind of stuck here and there will be at least four people who are experts in that field of whatever you're researching that will say, have you tried this? Have you looked at that? Have you done this? And it's, and it's awesome. Like in July, right before DEF CON, mm-hmm. we get like the entire meeting is all pre-talks for people practicing their talk for DEF CON. It's great. Nice. That's awesome. So uh, I'll open it up for questions really quick. Um, Kristen, do you have any questions for Rob? Definitely do. <laughs> Go for it. Uh, so my first question is, I think I know the answer because I did some research, but I'm going to ask it anyway because I really liked your take on it. What do you consider your biggest success in either career or life? My kids. Um, like just the fact that they're still alive. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> Like I'm, I'm doing a pretty good job there. Um, actually, my wife's doing most of the work there, uh, to be honest. But yeah, um, that's definitely my my biggest uh, thing in life right now. Um, career wise, um, oh man, I would have told you separate things uh, previous to this job. Um, but getting the chance to lead and be a director of a red team and see if my ideas of what a real director or a manager of a red team would do and seeing if they work and, you know, putting all those plans that I had um, in implementation and seeing how they do. That's, I guess, my, my biggest career um, thing is getting this job and getting that chance. Awesome. Big step. Any more, Um, Kristen? Yeah, so I noticed that you're a coach for the Mid-Atlantic CCDC, yep. and you credited that to like where you learned most of or a lot of your red team like tactics, techniques. Can you talk a bit about that and what sure. it is and who can be involved? So the cyber, the Mid-Atlantic region of the Cyber Collegiate Defense Competition, um, which is a mouthful, but it's basically the um, a collegiate or college-level um, competition that any any college student, um, young or old, as long as you're, you know, enrolled in classes and in undergrad or graduate, um, you can join the CCDC team of that school or start your own because at Western Governors University, the college that I go to, um, I, we actually started our own uh, team recently, restarted because it, it had a team prior. But um, essentially what happens is every year around, you know, uh, December, January timeframe, you get um, calls uh, from the national uh, region or the national setup, uh, national CCDC, um, which is the main hub of all these things, um, to sign up for your region um, with a team and you specify what your team is and stuff like that. And so that team then goes to qualifiers and that qualifiers, hi kitty, um, that qualifiers um, goes and you basically get put in a room or in a cyberspace um, in virtual world because of COVID, um, where you have to um, defend a network that is a new or, or it's a company that has been 
So the general scenario for all regions is there's a company that you've just been hired on as the new IT staff um, and the IT staff before you all got fired and because they had all kinds of vulnerabilities and everything. So you get this network that you have no idea what the state of it is. Um, you don't know if it's working or not. You don't know if it's vulnerable or not, patched or not, which it probably is or isn't. Um, and you have to put this network back together, fix it and you know patch it all while a real uh, enterprise level red team, like a, a group of volunteers that are are trying to attack your network and make you your services go down that are your your business's you know blood um and so um your services go down where you lose points and points are all based on services they're also based on your interaction with these this fictitious ceo so it teaches really cool um experiences with um with uh management and, and some places like the mid-Atlantic region, we have an actual CEO, a real CEO of a company coming in and, and talking to these kids and you get face-to-face -face interaction with a real CEO as if you were an IT manager. And so that experience alone is worth its weight in gold because you get to learn all of what a CEO expects and, want, and wants and knows. And so there's that aspect of it too. So you get scoring based on your interactions with the CEO and your answers to them. And then you also get scoring based on sometimes a orange team, which is your user base. So that's pretty yeah. Awesome. So it's a really cool experience. Okay. And from the red team side of things, I got to learn all of my tactics because there's two aspects of CCDC that you can't find anywhere in corporate world or, or even government world um, where you can, because it's an open-ended network and there's a lot of, so... There's a lot of different disparate systems, but there's no rules. If I take down a, a, a system during CCDC, that's an oops, right? If I take down a system in real world, that's a like it's your fire oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if I, you know, if I build my malware for CCDC, um, and it doesn't work in CCDC, it's because I, you know, got a chance to try it out. Um, the other big thing about CCDC is that, um, so there, one, there's no rules for the red team, right? Um, there's very little rules. Um, but there's also, um, the amazing aspect of it that I don't think people understand as much, unless you've been in CCDC as a red teamer, is that there are not enough systems in most CCDC networks. So each one of the blue teamers is looking directly at that system like having task manager or Prius list open, having all the network connections in, in Wireshark, which will never happen in the real world, right? Um, but as a red teamer, you have to be invisible to that. And if I can be invisible to that, I'm going to stomp around uh, a real network all I want, right? If I can be invisible to someone staring at me mm -hmm. directly in front of my face, right? Then in real engagements, uh, I... <laughs> I can, I can, you can, I can back it off a bit even and be fine. Right. And so that's the power of learning to um, do red teaming at CCDC is that you become a amazing red teamer um, for anything outside of CCDC. 
Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Denton uh, College in Texas, um, UNT, University of North Texas, um, has something similar. I don't know if it's CCDC, but they have uh, kind of a cyber competition, same thing. And they bring in Air Force um, guys to, to work on the red team against the college students. Same, same concept. It's, it's kind of cool. I participated, I guess it was about seven or eight years ago. Um, but those types of competitions, I think, are awesome for for kids in school and, and anybody who's really studying cybersecurity. Everyone gets good experiences out of it. Like it's it's great. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Rob, do you have any questions for us? I, I think there's one more question from user example in the in the channel in the chat. Um, what was your favorite tool to build and why? Uh, you asked that earlier, um, but one of the one of the things that um, that I didn't, I didn't talk about is recent tools. And, um, one of the, one of the, one of the things about me is that I get nerd sniped very easily. Um, if someone else on my team or one of the, like, Hey Rob, have you seen this file before? I'll be like, no, let me dig in for 15 hours and figure out what this file is. Um, Not a whole. like that is, that is my, my downfall like anyone on the internet if if you if you can hear this right now or or listen to this later and you're like hey i don't know what this file is on this red team assessment hey i'll just ping mubix and he's gonna dig into it and tell me how this is um uh don't do that please that's that's mean um but i i have been really digging into crypto specifically crypto is really frustrating to me because um if you don't know every aspect of the crypto you're trying to decrypt, you can't do it. Like, yep. um, it's it's not a game that that works very well with. Um, and so, um, recently, I dug into Manage Engine, and Manage Engine has some really interesting crypto. Um, and one of the cool things about it is that it uses um, DES, which hasn't been used in freaking forever, but it still uses DES for its encryption. But it uses PGP on top of the DES. So it does DES first and then wraps it around with another PGP thing. But it does it using a static key inside of um, Postgres. And Postgres has direct interaction with GPG, specifically um, its symmetric encryption and decryption. And so op engine has to use Postgres because it uses the PGP stuff inside of, um, directly inside of Postgres. And so when I was decrypting this, um, I learned a ton of stuff. Like the fact that um, I didn't know that JDB was a thing, Java debugger was a thing because I'm not a software dev, but um, attaching to a, a giant project like um, like op manager operations manager um, and being able to you know uh, like I've done done GDB before but like uh, I was able to get into uh, JDB and you know say this function like the decrypt function I want to you know put a breakpoint on like it never occurred to me that that Java had the same stuff as like C you know uh, debuggers did. Um, and so I got, I dug into that, trying to figure out this crypto, finally, you know, found the, the commands it was doing and all of the different things and found out the, the crypto key for it was Mickey. Um, and, um, and so I, I got like million miles deep into this crypto 
um, and finally figured out how to decrypt the passwords that were in op engine. So I made a tool um, that did it with Python and it was a really simple script. Like it doesn't show all the effort that went into like figuring all of this out, um, but it's like a, what, 15, 30 line script. And then I noticed that just looking through the script, I could do everything inside of CyberChef. And so inside of, um, so I, I made a tool called manage to decrypt um, with a two instead. And so um, inside I show, okay, here's the tools and here's how they work, but here's how to do it in CyberChef. Like it's literally like two or three things um, for each decryption and encryption. That's and pretty awesome. So, I'm super proud of the tool, even though it's like, and I, I just posted a link to it, but like, um, cool. because it is so simple, but it's crypto be, and it's only simple once you know everything about it and knowing everything about it is the hardest part. Yeah. So you really have to have a love for crypto in order to be good at it. I, I find that out really quick when I got into cryptography in the military, it's one of those things that's been around since the beginning of time. Um, and different algorithms and methods are, are so vast and so deep. Um, if you're into crypto, Rob, there's a good book called The Code Book by Simon Singh. Um, I'm actually reading that right now. Uh, it's really good. It goes over the history of uh, encryption, decryption, different types of, of code and ciphers and stuff. Okay. So I'll check it out. Cool. So do you have any questions for us as a group or individuals or anything? Um. I would say as a group to your listeners or the people on the call right now, what would you say the hardest part of your job is right now? What is the one thing that makes it, and it could be your job, it can be you know, red teaming, blue teaming, it could be whatever aspect of InfoSec you want to pick, but what is the one thing that really, really gets under your skin and, and, and it makes things hard? I think that the most difficult for me um, being a, a manager uh, of a SOC is helping clients that have been struck with ransomware um, just because there's a lot of emotion involved. I got and, a solution for that. <laughs> so the, the, the hard part for me is, is the emotion, right? Um, yep. Because you really can't understand the emotion unless you're in that position. Yep. Um, and with neurodiversity, that, that can be a little bit difficult at times. Yep, um, exactly. But empathy is hard. It, it's very hard. Um, I think for any human, empathy can be difficult. Um, but knowing that they're in a pressure point and knowing their solutions to help them, um, but it doesn't match. Like you, you don't know when to jump in and say, hey, I, I know that there's a platform I can help you with this, but it's going to cost. It, to me, like helping somebody in that, in that situation and trying not to sound like a salesman, um, I think is the most difficult part of the job. Uh, the easiest part of the job is the people part. Um, I think the, the people that I work with and that, that they're on my team, I have a great team. Um, and really in cybersecurity and InfoSec in general, it's all about relationships. Um, you know, you, you, it's such a small world. And if you can build those good lasting relationships, you'll run into those people at least a hundred times during your career. Um, so I think that's the yep. easiest part. Can I, can I give you the solution to ransomware? Absolutely. It's a hundred percent solution. Ready for this? It's sure. RSA ready. That's Stop it. giving them windows machines. No, 
hundred percent. I, I like wish if you if so every everything like ninety nine point nine percent of the people things people use today are all web based, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Right. So you give them a Chromebook, mm-hmm. and you stop worrying about ransomware, right? Literally, that's the solution, right? And so we actually did this at a company that I worked at. We were having uh, a big ransomware, or we were having malware issues all all up and down this one section of our business. And no one in this business used anything but our web interfaces, except for a few people who needed a Windows machine for like CAD and stuff. And so we gave everyone Chromebooks, replaced everyone in there, and we stopped getting infections like overnight. And so I know this sounds radical, but you can join Chromebooks to MDM and you can manage them through SSO. Like mm-hmm. this is a possible thing these days. And so if you, if you have the, you know, and they're cheaper too, they're just hands down way cheaper. So sell it to your finance people say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to shift this thing in it and we're going to give them all Chromebooks. Um, and we're going to give anybody who doesn't absolutely need a Windows machine, a Chromebook. If they don't absolutely need a Mac, they get a Chromebook. If they don't absolutely need, and they have to say why. And you, t- and you tell finance first and you say, hey, finance, we're going to, you know, we're going to save you millions of dollars over time. And they're going to be all about it. And they're going to, they're going to force it down everyone's throat, which makes it so much easier on InfoSec. And then, and then ransomware goes away because Chromebooks are least privilege, right? Yeah. You can't, like the best you can do on a ransom on a ransomware Chromebook is is kill you know the Google synced stuff, right? And that's all going to be you know automatically detected on Google's cloud and unransomware. Sure. And so it's like, anyways, that's sorry. A good point. No, that's a good point actually. I I hadn't thought about that. I thought about thin clients before, um, but even that you know, has inherent risk when you're dealing with thin clients, but Chromebook, that's actually a good point. You know, I bought one of those for, for my kid at one point and uh, yeah, you're right. It's effective yeah, and cheaper. hundred percent, hundred percent. And you can manage it for SSO. You can do all the stuff that you need to, like it, it has all everything you need. The only thing it doesn't have and, and anything that window based Mm -hmm. uh, windows based, you can use Amazon workspaces for Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and and Amazon workspaces you can blow away. And so I have my mom use a Chromebook, and she uses um, uh, Amazon workspaces that I've set up for her only when she needs something for Windows, and it automatically does everything that it needs. So it's awesome. That is awesome. Um, end users not understanding awareness is important. Luke, uh, this is this is another one of my soapboxes. End users should not be um, liable for for any awareness of infosec it's not their job to know infosec let's stop telling them it's their job and do a better job at at defending we have to point fingers back at ourselves and say we needed i have worked at companies where phishing was not a problem and that's because we made it so that no matter what the user did we caught it right and so they could they could you know click on a phishing link all day, every day, and it didn't do anything. And so that's where we need to get to as an industry. Stop blaming the users. I'm not trying to pick on you, but like we need to get off of the end user awareness stuff. 
Yeah, I mean, th they were hired for a specific fun function, and it definitely wasn't cybersecurity. Um, right, like maintenance maintenance guys in in the you know in the, the car bay don't expect me to know how to change a change a tire, right? Like they're like, why is the user awareness for for people doing my job? Like we don't do that. That's infosec's the only job where we expect other people to do our job for us. I would say replace the expectation of users to know cybersecurity and awareness. I would say replace that with build relationships between groups. Absolutely. Um, the siloed you know, structure of most companies doesn't work well when it comes to collaboration and, and sharing information. Um, and that will make any security professional's job a lot easier if they just build gaps, you know, build bridges over gaps between groups. Um, yeah. And Alex said the people want to want to cyber secure their business without spending, even though fines and ransom is even more expensive. Uh, yes, but the problem exists because people spend too much money um, uh, because defenders are not defenders companies defensive companies charge too much money um, because they can and they get away with it and we need to stop spending like millions and billions of dollars on defense companies that just don't do anything and they still get nabbed with ransomware anyways yep and then they spend more money uh, cyber insurance we were talking about that on the last episode as well and and you know the insurance companies working with specific ir teams instant response teams and forensics teams um, you can always tell which groups have relationships with the security, cybersecurity companies, uh, the, the uh, insurance companies, because the first thing out of their mouth is we've contacted the attacker and they want X amount of dollars. Well, not really worried about that right now. Let's see if we can't get back into operation. Then we'll worry about the ransom. Um, but you can always tell yep. who's, who's in bed with the uh, insurance companies for sure. Um, so I think that's about it. Um, I'm going to wrap it up. Okay. Rob, I really appreciate you taking your time out of your day and your evening and uh, spending it with us. I really appreciate okay. that. And if there's anything I can do for you in the future or my group can do for you in the future, please let me know and okay. we'll absolutely be there. And you're more than welcome to come back anytime. Maybe help me co-host a, a, a podcast sure. or hang out or whatever. Awesome. It a, Thanks. It was a pleasure and uh, have a great weekend and have fun with your kids. <laughs> Will do. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye.